Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Drunken Storytellers podcast, where I, your erstwhile host, folklore nerd, RPG writer, and all that usual stuff that I say at the beginning that my mind has forgotten, tell you tales from around the world, from history, from different cultures, looking at folklore, sometimes occult esotericism and stuff like that. Uh, in today's episode, I'm going to tell you two stories. I'm going to do a bit more folklore stuff again today. These two stories are based upon an idea that some believe may be the oldest folktales in the world. I shall come back to that point after I've told you the tales. The first version of the story we are going to read comes from those eponymous folklore collectors from Germany. Uh, I actually went to see their graves a couple of weeks ago. That was kind of cool. This comes from Jakob and Wilhelm Grimm. Uh, it is from their children's and household tales, the Grimm's fairy tales. The version that I'm going to read is from the seventh edition. Uh, it's number 189 and it is called The Peasant and the Devil. Once upon a time, there was a clever, wily peasant whose tricks could be talked much about. The best story, however, is how he once got the best of the devil and made a fool of him. One day, the peasant had been working in his field, and just as it was getting dark, he was getting ready to go home, when in the middle of his field he saw a pile of burning coals. Filled with amazement, he walked towards it, and, sitting on top of the glowing coals, there was a little black devil. You must be sitting on a treasure, said the peasant. Yes, indeed, replied the devil, on a treasure that contains more gold and silver than you have ever seen in your life. The treasure is in my field and belongs to me, said the peasant. It is yours, answered the devil, if for two years you will give me one half of everything your field produces. I have enough money, but I have a desire for the fruits of the earth. The peasant entered into the bargain, saying, To prevent any dispute from arising about the division, everything above the ground shall belong to you, and everything beneath the ground to me. The devil was quite satisfied with that, but the cunning peasant had planted turnips. Now, when harvest time came, the devil appeared and wanted to take away his crop, but he found nothing except the yellow, withered leaves, and the happy peasant dug up his turnips. You got the best of me this time, said the devil, but it won't happen again. Next time, what grows above ground shall be yours, and what is under it shall be mine. That is all right with me, answered the peasant. When planting time came, the peasant did not plant turnips again, but wheat. The crop ripened, and the peasant went into the field and cut the full stalks off at the ground level. When the devil came, he found nothing but the stubble, and he angrily disappeared into a chasm in a cliff. That's the way one has to deal with foxes, said the peasant, and carried away the treasure. There you go, my friends. That is the first story that I'm going to tell. The second is a slightly longer version, and this is an old Norwegian fairy tale. Um... I'm going to read the English translation. Uh, I don't think anybody would like me attempting to read Old Norse. 
but this is from a book called Popular Tales from the Norse. Uh, the translator is George Dussent. The original, uh, I'm sorry for this, is uh, the Norsk Folkenventyr from 1841, and the author is Asbjornsson and Moe. So sit back and enjoy this second tale of the smith and the devil. Once on a time, in the days when our Lord and St. Peter used to wander the earth, they came to a smith's house. He had made a bargain with the devil, that the fiend should have him after seven years. But during that time he was to be the master of all masters in his trade, and to his bargain both he and the devil had signed their names. So he stuck up the great letters above the door of his forge. Here dwells the master of all masters. Now, when our Lord passed by and saw that, he went in. Who are you? he said to the smith. Read what's written over the door, said the smith. But maybe you can't read writing. If so, you must wait till someone comes to help you. Before our Lord had time to answer him, a man came with his horse, which he begged the smith to shoe. Might I have leave to shoe it? asked our Lord. You may try, if you like, said the smith. You don't do it so badly, then I shall not be able to make it right again. So our lord went out and took one leg off the horse, and laid it in the furnace, and made the shoe red hot. After that he turned up the ends of the shoe, and filled, filed down the heads of the nails, and then he put back the leg safe and sound on the horse again. And when he was done with that leg, he took the other foreleg and did the same with it. And when he was done with that, he took the hind legs, first the off, and then the near leg, and laid them in the furnace, making the shoes red hot, turning up the ends, filing the heads of the nails, and clenching the points, and after all was done, putting the legs on the horse again. All the while the smith stood by and looked on. You're not so bad a smith at all, said he. Oh, you think so, do you? said our lord. A little while after came the smith's mother to the forge, and called to him to come home and eat his dinner. She was an old, old woman, with an ugly crook on her back, and wrinkles in her face, and it was much as she could do to crawl along. "'Mark now what you see,' said our lord. Then he took the woman and laid her in the furnace, and smithed a lovely young maiden out of her. "'Well,' said the smith, "'I say now, as I said before, you're not such a bad smith after all.' There it stands, over me door, here dwells master over all masters. But for all that, I say right out, one learns as long as one lives. And with that he walked off to his house and ate his dinner. So after dinner, just after he got back to his forge, a man came riding up to have his horse shod. It shall be done in twinkling of an eye, said the smith, for I have just learnt a new way to shoe, and a very good way is when the days are short. So he began to cut and hack till he had got all the horse's legs off, for he said, I don't know why one would should go pottering backwards and forwards first one leg and then with the other. Then he laid the legs in the furnace just as he, he had seen our Lord lay them, and threw them in a great heap of coal, and made his mate work the bellows bravely, but it went as one might suppose it would go. The legs were burnt to ashes, and the smith had to pay for the horse. 
Well, he didn't much care about that, but just then an old beggar woman came along the road, and he thought to himself, better luck next time. So he took the old dame and laid her in the furnace. Though she begged and prayed hard for her life, it was no good. You're so old, you don't know what is good for you, said the smith. Now you shall be a lovely young maiden in half no time, and for all that I'll not charge you a penny for the job. But it went no better with the poor old lady than with the horse's legs. That was ill done, and I say it, said our lord. Oh, for that matter, said the smith, there's not many you'll ask after her, I'll be bound, but it'll be a shame of the devil if this is the way he holds to what's written up above the door. If you might have three wishes from me, said our lord, what would you wish for? Only try me, said the smith, and you'll soon know. So our lord gave him three wishes. Well, said the smith, first and foremost, I wish that anyone whom I ask to climb up into the pear tree that stands outside by the wall of my forge may stay sitting there till I ask him to come down again. The second wish I wish is that anyone whom I ask to sit down in my easy chair which stands inside the workshop yonder may stay sitting there till I ask him to get up. Last of all, I wish that anyone whom I ask to creep into the steel purse which I have in my pocket may stay in it till I give him leave to creep out again. You have wished as a wicked man, said St. Peter. First and foremost, you should have wished for God's grace and good will. It doesn't look so wise as that, said the smith. And after that, our Lord and St. Peter bade him goodbye and went on their way. Well, the years went on and on, and when the time was up, the devil came to fetch the smith, as it was written in their bargain. Are you ready? he said, as he stuck his nose at the door of the forge. Oi, said the smith. I must just hammer the head of this timpani nail first. Meantime, you can just climb up into that pear tree and put yourself a pear to gnaw at. You must be both hungry and thirsty after your journey. So the devil thanked him for his kind offer and climbed up into the pear tree. Very good, said the smith. But now, on thinking the matter over, I shall find... I find I shall never be able to have done hammering the head of this nail till four years are out at least. This iron is so pluggy hard. Down you can't come in all that time, but you may sit up there and rest your bones. When the devil heard this, he begged and prayed till his voice was as thin as a silver penny that he might have leave to come down. But there was no help to it. There he was, and there he must stay. At last he had to give his word of honour not to come again till the four years were out, which the smith had spoken of. And then the smith said, Very well, now you may come down. So when the time was up, the devil came again to fetch the smith. You're ready now, of course, said he. You've had time enough to hammer the head of that nail, I should think. Yep, it is right enough now, said the smith. But still, you have to come... Come a little tiny bit too soon, for I haven't quite done sharpening the point. Such pluggy hard lie iron I've never hammered in all me born days. So while I work at the point, you may just as well sit down in that easy chair and rest yourself. I'll be bound when you're weary after you've come so far. Thank you kindly, said the devil, and down he plumped into his easy chair. But just as he made himself comfortable, the smith said, on second thoughts, he found he couldn't get the point sharp till four years were out. 
First of all, the devil begged so prettily to be let out of the chair, and afterwards, waxing worse, he began to threaten and scold. But the smith kept him on, all the while excusing himself and saying it was all the iron's fault. It was so plaguey hard, and telling the devil he was not so badly off to have to sit quietly in an easy chair, and that he would let him out to the minute when the four years were over. Well, at least there was no help for it, and the devil had to give his word of honour not to fetch the smith till four years were out. And then the smith said, Well, now, you may go up and be off about your business. And away went the devil as fast as he could lay legs to the ground. When the four years were over, the devil came again to fetch the smith, and he called out, and he stuck his nose in the door of the forge. Now, I know you must be ready. Ready? Aye, ready, answered the smith. We can go now as soon as you please, but Arky, there's one thing I've stood here and thought and thought. I would ask you to tell me, is it true what people say, that the devil can make himself as small as he pleases? God knows, it is the very truth, said the devil. Ooh, said the smith. It is true, is it? Then I wish you would just be so good as to creep into this little still purse of mine and see whether it is sound at the bottom, for, to tell you the truth, I'm afraid my travelling money will drop out. With all my heart, said the devil, who made himself small in a trice and crept into the purse. But he was so scarce in when the smith snapped to the clasp. Yes, called out the devil inside the purse. It's right and tight everywhere. But good, said the smith. I'm glad to hear you say it all, but more haste the worse speed, says the old straw, and forewarned is forearmed, says another. So I'll just weld these links in a little together, just for safety's sake. And with that he laid the purse in the furnace and made it red hot. Ow! Ow! screamed the devil. Are you mad? Don't you know I'm inside the purse? Yeah, I do, said the smith. Well, I can't help you, for another old saw says, one must strike while the iron's hot. And as he said this, he took up his sledgehammer, laid the purse on the anvil, and let fly as hard as he could. Ow! 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 bellowed the devil inside the purse. Dear friend, do let me out, and I'll never come near you again. Very well, said the smith. Now, I think the links are pretty well welded. Uh, you may come on out. So he unclasped the purse, and away went the devil in such a hurry that he didn't once look behind him. Now, some time after, it came across the smith's mind that he had done a silly thing in making the devil his enemy. For he said to himself, If, as it is like enough, there won't have me in the kingdom of heaven, I shall be in danger of being houseless, since I've fallen out with him who rules over hell. So he made up his mind it would be best to try to get either into hell or heaven, and to try it once, rather than to put it off any longer, so he might know how things really stood. Then he threw his sledgehammer over his shoulder and off, and set off. And when he had gone a good bit on the way, he came to a place where two roads met, and where the path of the kingdom of heaven parts from the path that leads to hell. And here he overtook a tailor who was pelting along with his goose in hand. Good day, said the smith. Whither are you off to? To the kingdom of heaven, said the tailor. If I can only get into it, but whither are you going yourself? Oh, our ways don't run together, 
said the smith, for I've made up my mind to try first hell, as the devil and I know something of one another from old times. So they bade one another good-bye, and each went his way. But the smith was a stout, strong man, and got over the ground far faster than Taylor, and so it wasn't long before he stood at the gates of hell. Then he called the watch, and bade him go and tell the devil there was someone outside who wished to speak with him. Come out, said the devil to the watch, and ask him how he is. So that when the watch came and told him that, the smith answered, Go up and greet the devil in my name, and say it is the smith who owns the purse he wots off, and beg him prettily to let me come, let me in at once, for I worked at my forge till noon, and I've had a long walk since. But when the devil heard who it was, he charged the watch to go back and lock up all the nine locks on the gates of hell. And besides, he said, you may as well put a padlock, for if he only once gets in, he'll turn hell topsy-turvy. Well, said the smith to himself, when he saw them busy bolting up the gates, there's no lodging to be had here, that's plain, so I may as well try my luck in the kingdom of heaven. And with that he turned around and went back till he reached the crossroads, and then he went along the path the tailor had taken. And now, as he was cross at having gone backwards and forwards so far for no good, he strode along with all his might and reached the gate of heaven, just as St. Peter was opening it a very little, just enough to let through the half-starved tailor slip in. The smith was still six or seven strides off the gate, so he thought to himself, Now, there's no time to be lost, and grasping his sledgehammer, he hurled it into the opening of the door, just as the tailor slunk in. And if the smith didn't get in then, when the door was ajar, why, I don't know what has become of him. There we go. Uh, I hope you enjoyed those two tales. Um, they are quite common motive in folklore, especially within Europe, where you've got this blacksmith or this smith, or maybe even uh, just a a general tradesman, there are stories with the cobbler um, and the devil as well, kind of taking a similar vein, where you get this Faustian deal going on with the devil and people trying to escape from it. So it's quite a common theme, quite a common motive throughout um, European folklore and, and beyond, to be fair. Sometimes we see the blacksmith is actually quite a, an evil figure, um, has a bit of malevolence associated with it. Um, we also see things like... the um, the story of the creation of jack-o'-lanterns where jack tricks the devil um holds him up in the tree we've also got faust it's a faustian tale you can um deals with the devil other smiths we've got we've got wayland the smith obviously the great great tale from um europe probably one of the most famous folklore tales around we see a roughly similar kind of story appearing actually in modern movies uh, the basque language movie Erementari. It's an absolutely fantastic movie. Really, really good. Really recommend watching it. That, again, is a Faustian Smith story. Um, the Smith creates uh, a deal with the devil and traps him in a cage. We've also got, um, in other kind of folklore and mythology and history, you've got gods. You've got Vulcan and Hephaestus, the, the, the Roman and Greek gods of smithing, um, where they not just do metal smithing, but they also going to the realm of magic and smith the first human female, Pandora, who then has her box, and we all know how bad that goes. 
We've got Azizel, who is um, in the Book of Enoch, presented as the first blacksmith. Azizel is quite an interesting character. Uh, we'd need to do a full episode on this fallen angel, as they and their fellow angel, Grigori, are in the Book of Enoch, the ones who corrupt mankind, uh, which leads to the Flood and Noah, and there's this whole thing there with that. And kind of carrying on with that, in, in the Bible we've also got Tubal-Cain, or Tubal-Cain, um, and this is in Genesis 4.22, he's known as the first blacksmith, so rather than Azizel here we get an actual character, um, uh, Tubal-Cain, who is a descendant of Cain, and he is stated as the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. He is seen as the creator of great weapons that enable much better killing uh, because, well, he's a descendant of Cain and who doesn't like a bit of murder? Especially if it's your brother, apparently. Uh, but yeah, uh, Tubla Cain is also in some theology seen as the first chemist as well. So we've got lots of different kind of aspects here of the blacksmith um, and then they've got some evil bits in there with the fallen angels and stuff. So it's kind of a broad, broad concept. I'm only going to do a little bit on this, as I've got some news that I'm going to share with you afterwards. But yeah, so uh, how is this the the oldest story, oldest folklore tale? Because we've talked about the devil here, and obviously that is a very Christian idea. But the stories of the smith uh, and the devil, or the smith and a demon, or an evil creature... Um, in European folktales could possibly, and this is a big possibly here, date back to around 6,000 years ago um, with some phylogenetic techniques and linguistics. Um, people have connected um, words together that might mean smith um, back to some of these old tales. This may or may not be true, um, but there are certainly tales that date back quite some time that include deals with the devil or with um, making deals with, with, with evil creatures and the smith and, and, and like um, people who create things. So even though smith may not have been a word or may not have been a profession back in those days, there is connections that people have drawn that it may mean something else. Um, I'm kind of skirting around the, the thing here. I didn't do much research onto this um, because I've got something else that is, is, is in the works, shall we say. Yeah, the, it's possible that this could be one of the oldest tropes in folklore, but I'll let you do your own research onto that. But the Smith and the Devil, you see it, in, as I said, all over the place. It's in, in lots of different cultures, lots of different um, folk tales. So yeah, um, the news, I suppose, so news, uh, updates, I don't know what you call this bit, um, but the reason that I did the Smith and the Devil is for one particular word, Faust. So I am going to set up a Patreon, because why not? <laughs> Everybody else seems to do it. Um, it won't charge much. Uh, it will only charge, hopefully, when it's all set up, only charge when the episodes are released through that. But on the Patreon, I am going to do more 
readings, more tales. Um, the first one I'm going to read is Faust. Now, Faust is quite a long book, or a long play, or a long story, depending on which version you're reading. I'm going to be reading that and releasing maybe half-hour episodes every month. I'm probably only going to charge $1 per episode, but it will help keep the lights on of this podcast and things. So that is what I'm going to do. Uh, the episode, the first episode should be out sometime in May. Well, it is May now, so keep an eye on that. I will put a link to the Patreon in the show notes for this and all future episodes. It will be, to start off with, I will be doing Faust. Then I will be doing uh, Divine Comedy. Um, I will definitely be doing Hell. I may do Purgatory. Um, I'm very unlikely to do Heaven because it's really boring. But from there, then I may delve into more esoteric research. Um, The the, the detailed research of esotericism and all that kind of stuff is likely to go onto Patreon because it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. And I will keep the, the, the free-to-air stuff on the podcast uh, as the more folklore tales, the easier, the fun, simple stuff on here. So that is the news. Um, you don't have to sign up to the Patreon, but if you want to hear me tell Faust as, as a story and then um, the Divine Comedy, please go ahead and... Uh, sign up to that as i say it'll only be like a dollar maybe two dollars i'm not going to charge vast quantities and it'll only be when the episodes come out it's not going to be a monthly subscription i hope if i can work out how to do it so that is that is the news there um another bit of news i'm guessing many of you have probably seen the tweet and uh, most of you i think who listen to this know me in person anyway i'm going to be moving country again (laughs) I'm moving to Mexico in September. Uh, It's a bit of a different place to um, Germany, but I got offered an amazing fellowship to work at UNAM, um, the major university in Mexico. So it's possibly two years in Mexico. Um, Really, really excited about this. A bit anxious because it's a bit of a, a, a shift from the UK and Germany to Mexico, but I may start looking into some more um, Mesoamerican folklore and things as we get as I move over there, um, but I will keep you informed on that. So uh, all that is left for me to say then is social media. I exist there. I don't do much, <laughs> as you all know. the The Patreon might become more of a social media thing because I'll need to keep that updated with extra episodes. I do have a Kofi, so if you don't want to sign up for the um, Patreon and get all those episodes, you can give me a, a coffee through Kofi. Link will be in the show notes as always. So all all my social media handles and email addresses and stuff, and uh, links to the the stories and where I got them from will also be down there. But yeah, so all that is left for me to say then is goodbye, my friends.